0: with me while I pray. Father, I do pray that what we just sang would be true. Lord, that your breath would fill our sails. That we might continue to experience your power in this place as we continue to worship you in your word. Lord, what we have not give us, What we can't see, show us. What we don't know, teach us. And what we are not, make us. In the power of your Spirit. And in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. And while you're folding yourself into your tables, I want to tell you about a letter that I got from a friend that I recently re-read. Um, there's lots of room up here. Ladies, why don't you guys come over here with the Hopkins? Unless, are you guys going to sit over here with the Hopkins? You can sit over here with the Hopkins. Um, but I want to tell you about um, a letter that I got from a friend. And this man um, has walked with the Lord for 30 plus years. Like, he is a spiritual giant. Like, in my mind, there's Jesus, and then there's this guy, and then there's the rest of us. And yet in this letter, he says, you know, Doug, I am so frustrated with myself because the things that I want to do that I know are right as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can't seem to make myself do. And the things that I know are wrong, like the things that I want to stop doing because I know they don't please Jesus and they don't press me into him, I can't seem to stop. And then here's the line in the letter that stuck out to me from this amazing man. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? But fortunately, he had an answer. Because the friend is the Apostle Paul, and he said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Now guys, here's what's interesting. James invites us into this wrestle. Like, James invites us into this wrestle of what does it look like to really walk with the Lord and at the same time remember the grace that is required to do any of the stuff that he tells us to do. And oh, by the way, who is James to tell us what to do anyway? Well, first of all, let's remember that this isn't James speaking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through James. All Scripture is God-breathed. So he breathed it into James, and James is giving it to us. But here's the other thing. James was the half-brother of Jesus. So this isn't just theory to him. He actually saw these things that we have a hard time walking out. He saw them lived out perfectly in his brother, who, by the way, he didn't believe in at the time. But now he sees that his relationship with Jesus is not a physical thing because they had the same mom, but it's a spiritual thing. Because at this point that he writes this letter, he has seen what Paul tells us in, in Corinthians where he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed, the new have come. We are spiritual beings. James is a spiritual being at this point, and he knows that that's where his confidence is. And so for us, we need to look at this and go, okay, so how do we live as kingdom people by kingdom power for kingdom glory? And James is going to tell us, if it's true that you're a kingdom person living by kingdom power for kingdom glory, here's what that looks like. And sometimes that's hard. So today we're going to talk about, because some of these truths that James shares with us are hard. In fact, most of them are like a punch in the gut to me when I study them each week. Practicing what you preach practicing what you preach. So two weeks ago when we started the series, we talked about considering it all joy. So how are we doing with that when we encounter various trials? Last week we preached, or James preached to us, getting sick of your sin struggles by simply seeing Jesus as better than all that stuff that you desire that leads to sin, that leads to death. So how are we doing with that? Uh, Welcome to my table where I study God's word and and, and have to wrestle through. Practice what you preach when you know you're going to get up here and go, but I haven't been doing a good job of the first two weeks. How in the world am I going to get up here in week three? Part of why we're sitting at tables today is because I want you guys to enter into that lovely space of wrestling with me. So today's question is, how does what's on your insides come out? How does what's on your insides come out? And specifically, how does it come out in a way that glorifies God? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will put a Bible in it. But how do we glorify God more? Why we're sitting at tables today is because you're going to have time throughout the message today, at least a couple of times, Lord willing, to talk at your table about what we've been calling table talk questions here for a long time. It's a, it's a chance for us to not just be spectators of what's going on, but actually participate in body life at church. We won't do it all the time. I look forward to the day that we can do it more because we'll actually be at tables that are a little more comfortable than these things are as you're twisted and turned and sideways and all that stuff. So we won't, I'm not saying this is where we're, how we're sitting every Sunday, but on occasional Sundays, and Fellowship Sunday were great because now it's just all set up for the meal already and we're good to go. Um, we're going to take some time and talk at your table. So one, if you're, if you're like these two poor souls, um, don't just be two people at a table because you already know what you think and you probably know what the other person thinks. Find some people you don't know what they think so you can talk together. So take some. You won't disturb me any if you if you move around the room. So please do that as you see fit. So today's question: How does what's on the in, on your insights come out? Another way of asking that is: How can we practice what we preach? How can we practice what we preach? Well, open up your Bibles to James chapter one, and James is going to tell us. The first way is that we have to remember whose we are. We have to remember whose we are. And I'm going to pick it up where we left off last week in verse 17. We finished up in verse 17 and 18. It says, in James chapter 1, remembering whose we are, it says, But every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Guys, why, why why can we be confident in God? Because he never changes, right? He doesn't change, like he doesn't waffle back and forth. I love how the psalmist says in Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever were, had been formed on the earth of the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That phrase, from everlasting to everlasting, has been playing out in my head since about, since the end of our Advent season. He never changes, guys. From everlasting to everlasting is every one of your todays and tomorrows. And then the psalmist in Psalm 103 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That's his love for you. He doesn't love you one day and not love you the next. He doesn't love you when you're obedient to what James is telling us to do and not love you when you're disobedient to what James is telling you to do. We are not earning God's approval. And your pastor's heart is that we wouldn't walk into this series in James just trying to white-knuckle do better and leave behind the grace and the walking and the power of the withness that we talked about at the start of the year. Because we can't do better. We're not, we're not checking off any boxes in God's scorecard. Right? Look at verse 18. In the exercise of his will, He brought, brought us forth from the, by the word of truth so that you would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Okay, first fruits is, is proof of the harvest to come. It is, it is what, they, what they would do in the Old Testament is they would, when they would gather the first of the fruits, the first things that the harvest was bringing in, they would take it and they would give it to the Lord as a way of saying, we trust you, Lord, for what you're going to do with the rest of it. Rather than go, well, we better set this stuff aside just in case the harvest doesn't come in. He's saying, look around the room, hear the salvation stories like Adam just shared, and go, you know what? Trust that the harvest is coming, and you guys are just the first fruits. Why? Because we're his. Isaiah says it this way. I, I, I love this. Isaiah 43. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's not Isaiah talking. That's Yahweh. God, the God who spoke stars into creation, the God who created Adam and Eve in the garden, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, called you by name. You are mine. And he finishes it with, because I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm it. Guys, God chose you. He brought you forth, what we just saw in verse 18. He brought you forth by by His will, by the word of truth. He chose to bring you to life spiritually. He's not done with you. Guys, if you're sitting here today and you're a born again believer in Jesus, that's just the beginning of what He wants for you. He did not raise you to life and leave you in a cemetery. He raised you to life for a purpose that's more beautiful and more grand than you can possibly imagine. So on your table talk questions, here's what I want you to do. It's on the overhead. It's also on the back of your connecting points. It says, what kinds of things get in the way of remembering whose you are? How can you get better at living in your true identity as a child of God? Now some additional thoughts that might help spur discussion are also on the overhead that are not on your handout. What feeds your soul? What presses you further into him? From him? What helps you remember his goodness? From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. I'm gonna give you three or four minutes to just talk at your tables about what it is that helps you feed your remembering that you are a child of God. Ready, go! at your table, Kim. Else that had to be with you, and I said, no, you know what? That was God. God told me I had to do this. And all the other women were standing there looking at us like we had, you know, horns on our head, but we didn't care. And I was able to get her, well, God was able to get her through that week. Mm. And she keeps calling and asking me stuff, so I can give her what's her name? Her name? First was one name. Of them. Tabitha. All right, we're going to pray for Tabitha right now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for Kim's testimony of just being on mission for you. Lord, I want to pray right now with my brothers and sisters. We together, because there's power when we pray together, Lord, we pray for Tabitha. But I want to pray right now that it wouldn't just be a, a week of encouragement, but it would be a, a week of soul enlightenment. Lord, that she would become, if she, is not your, if she is not yet born again, that she would have a testimony of a of of feeling your presence and even point back to this very moment on a Sunday morning. Lord and we commit this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What else? One more. Yes, Cheyenne. Mm. Amen. Amen. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving, in prayer and supplication. Right? Like, like the, the, the antidote to anxiety is certainly the truth of God's word and praying. Because it reminds you of whose you are. Because who else are you talking to? Right? So it reminds you that you are a child of God. So today's question, how does what's on your insides come out? One, it's by remembering whose you are. In a, in a way that glorifies God, you ha- it has to start with, I have to remember whose I am in order to even be able to do any of this stuff. The second thing is, by knowing your behavior flows from your belonging. And we talk about this a lot here at Cornerstone. That the first call of the Christian is not behave, but behold. Behold the, Jesus, the, the beauty of Jesus Christ, Come to know that you are his, belong in him, let him conform you into his image, and then you'll start to behave. We tend to flip those things around way too much. But what comes out of us is just an overflow of what's in us. Look at James 1.19. It says this, this you know, my beloved brethren. I'm gonna stop right there. That's one. Remember, I talked about how there are 60 plus commands in the book of James, imperatives in the Greek, it's called. These are not suggestions. This is one of them. This you know. He says, Know this. It's, it's almost like God is saying, You know this, people. But the question is, know what? Well, here's what's interesting: As I was studying this passage. What are we supposed to know? Here's what we're supposed to know: we're supposed to know the truth of verses 17 and 18. And the truth of verse 21. Not the truth of what's coming right after that statement. And I'll get there in just a minute. So the truth of 17 and 18 is that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. The truth of 19 is that by His will, you were born by the power of the word of truth. And then look at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all of that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted. Guys, okay, so what, what James is trying to tell us here in this little, in this, in this little section is we need to remember that, that God sent his son, the powerful word in flesh, in order to make you who he wants you to be. That's the only way we can do the stuff that I just skipped. And I'll come back to the rest of 19 and 20 in a minute. But the only way we can do that that thought that James is going to share is by remembering that God sent the word incarnate in order to make you into you. God is constantly trying to remind you, us, together, who he's made us to be. He's constantly about that because he knows if we would just stay there, if we would just remember I'm a child of God, I'm a blood-bought saint, man, we would live life so differently. I would live life so differently. So, There's God's part, 17 and 18, good and perfect gift, the word of truth, verse 21. But what's our part? Well, our part is 19 and 20. It's funny because we we make, if you're familiar with the book of James, and many of you have studied through the book of James before, we make the second half of 19 and 20 like a a key part of this passage. It is not. It is a parenthetical thought. All James is saying here is, here's what it looks like to live anti-God. He's saying, if, 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 if remembering that every good and perfect gift is from God, and if remembering that the power of his word is what brings you to life, here's what it looks like not to do that. So look at verse, the second half of verse 19. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Right? Now, how, who, who here has heard that before? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. So, right. If you're familiar at all with the book of James, that's one of them that you hear. You have Andre, but what we try to do is we, we go, oh man, I, I stink at this. You know, God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I speak, and I speak three times as much as I listen. I don't get what, and, and we beat ourselves up about it. We get angry, and we beat ourselves up. And, and it's because we've forgotten the real power behind it, which is verses 17, 18, and 21. Because we're trying to do it in our own strength. Okay, it is important for us to be quick to hear and slow to speak because we need to be... Guys, when, 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 one of the things we've been talking about here about everything from reconciling relationships and being genuine and open and honest with each other is when we listen, when we ask questions, whether it's with a, an unsaved co-worker, a neighbor flipping a stupid tire, or the person sitting next to you, when we ask questions and listen with ears... To hear hearts, our heart softens. When we speak our mind, our heart hardens. How many of us, honestly, transparently, how many of us are better at speaking our minds than listening for hearts? Get your hand up, you bunch of liars. Like, seriously. Right, it, it, but, but it's not just about this and this, it's about this. It's about the effect that has. When I sit and listen to a brother or a sister who's struggling, maybe struggling with me, and I listen with ears to hear their heart, it breaks mine and softens me towards them. But when I just say, you know what, let me tell you what's wrong with you, what, what I don't like about you, why you're wrong about how you feel about me, my, not only is none of that helpful, it's hardening my heart towards that person. And then he says, be, so listen, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Isn't it interesting that James connects anger and speech? Right? Because, because what is speech? What is our tongue? And, and guys, he is going to unload on us in chapter 3 in three weeks on the tongue. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the tongue this week because he, he teaches cyclically. He's going to hit it again in verse 26, and then he's going to hit it for 12 verses in chapter 3, and you might not want to be here that day. Because I don't want to be here that day, because he is going to pound me about how bad my tongue is, even in my own head. But but his point is that, that the problem is anger comes out of our mouth. What comes out of our mouth leads us to anger, and it just cycle, 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 cycle. It's this idea of wrath, bitterness, jealousy. Sometimes it comes out as passive aggressive behavior, and none of that achieves the righteousness of God, the godly life God requests. I'm going to I'm just going to let the word of God do commentary on this whole section on anger in the tongue. So, we're going to come back to James, turn to the left to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 14. So, Proverbs is to the, is to the left of where we are, which is most of your Bible. It's to the right of Psalms. So, if you get to the Psalms, you've gone too far. So, we're going to be in cha- Proverbs 14 We're going to hit a few Proverbs real quick, and then we'll come back to James. But I want to just share this with you. I, I love, I know we're kind of spread out today. I love the sound of pages turning. I can't really hear the sound of your phone flicking, but I'm sure that, you know, if they would invent a, a Bible app on your phone that made that sound, I would be really excited. Um, I'm not anti-Bible phone. I just, so don't email me. Proverbs 14 verse 29 and 30 He who is slow to anger has great understanding but he who is quick tempered exalts folly A tranquil heart is the life is life to the body but passion is rottenness to the bones Guys does a tranquil heart describe yours and I don't mean necessarily sitting here right now on a Sunday getting ready to eat, maybe going to have some fun at a football thing at the pastor's house. Well, I'm not talking about that tranquil. I'm talking about in the middle of stressful life circumstances. Would you say that your, your heart is, is speaking words of grace and truth to your head because it's tranquil or not? Turn to Proverbs 15 verses 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you see how Solomon is connecting words and anger? The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools sprouts folly. He's connecting this whole thing about the tongue, speech, anger, what it does to us. It's it's just not healthy. If if you don't have, by the way, cross-references, if you don't have like written down James 1.19 next to these Proverbs, you ought to write them down in your Bible. I'm a huge fan of, like, so that later you can go back and go, oh, yeah, that reminded me of this proverb or this psalm or whatever. Now, last one, turn to Proverbs. Well, it's not the last one. Turn to Proverbs 22. 22 and 24. 22 verses 24 and 25. So next to this proverb, I have listed the proverbs we were just in, along with some others that talk about anger. And, oh, by the way, James 1.19. Proverbs 22, verse 24 says, but do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Anger, bitterness, guys, it is not, not only pollutes you, it pollutes people around you. Evil speaking, like slander, gossip, not only pollutes you, it pollutes people around you. Because I've written down in my Bible February 22nd, 2006. This is before I entered. This that was the day that I decided to leave education. I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't, I didn't say, "Oh, we're going to go into full-time ministry." And it was because of a situation I was in, where I could see how my soul was getting polluted because I was around angry and short-tempered people. And I either was going to have to get divisive myself or leave. And so Carrie and I in Faith stepped out and said, "We have no idea what you're going to do, Lord." And we stepped away. That was in February of 2006. Cornerstone, by way of reference, didn't get planted until 2011. It was a long journey. Last one, Proverbs 6. This, I, this is, I just had to go here. I have to take the time to go here. I, I'm sorry, because—I'm not sorry. Um, it's the Word of God. Um, Proverbs 6. i was reading through Psalms and Proverbs as part, of my, as part of my daily devotional time. and So I was in Proverbs 6, and— <laughs> Proverbs 6 and 16. Uh, this, guys, get this. How many of these things we're about to read in these four verses, how many of them have to do with anger and the tongue? Verse 16 of Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven, they're an abomination to Him. Right there ought to get our attention. Right? If there is something the Lord hates and is an abomination, Man, that ought to be like underlined, marked, what are those things? Well, here's what they are. Haughty eyes, that's just, that's being um, arrogant. That's being, um, yeah, it's just being prideful and arrogant. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly evil, a false witness that utters lies, and one who speaks strife among brothers. Guys, out of those seven things in God's top seven, or bottom seven that he hates. I can three right off are directly related to the tongue and anger. And I could make an argument for at least two more. That's how powerful and that's why in chapter three James is gonna hit us hard for twelve verses out of this short letter. Because it, it the tongue and anger and anger and the tongue are just this spiral that takes us to and and if you've been in any relationship with any human being ever for a long period of time, you get that. You get the power that that can have. So back to James. we got to get back to James and get back at it. James chapter, where are we, chapter 1, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. I probably should leave, my finger, leave a finger there too. But. So it says this in James 1, 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Okay, so do you get what he's saying here? He's back to this is, this is God's part in this. Because when he says receive the word implanted, that's in what's called the middle or probably the passive voice, which means you're not actually, it's like a bird being fed by its mother. The, the chick is doing nothing. So when it says receive the word, it's, it's a picture of Jesus dropping his word down onto us. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But what's our part in that? Our part is, right, it says in with humility, to be humble, right? To see ourselves, we didn't do anything to earn God's approval. None of this to-do list of James is going to give us points with God. So why do we think so highly of ourselves, we're scorekeepers with God because we're scorekeepers with each other. And I say that often here. But our, our role is to humbly walk with Christ in the power of his spirit for the glory of God. That's our role. That has to start in humility. If it starts with, I will do it, we've already lost. If it starts with, Lord, help me, that's where, it's, that's where we go. For the, fruit of the Spirit, guys, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't it interesting that when Paul outlines this is what a godly person looks like, he starts with love and he ends with self-control. And look at what James is going to say next. In the, in his, again, in probably the best-known passage of James, if you've read James, this is, this is certainly one in verse 22. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the nat, looks at his looks nat, I'm sorry, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, there's the word of God, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not being a, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that man is blessed in what he does. Again, important truth there. We talk about this a lot. These, these commands are not suggestions of God. Right? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. All I command you. Spurgeon said it this way. It is already half false he who speculates on truth and does not do it. Truth is not given to be contemplated, but to be done. You say, "Okay, well, Spurgeon's not good enough for me." Gee, I just quoted what Jesus said at the end before He ascended. What about early in His ministry in Luke six forty six? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke six forty six. How about Matthew seven? Matthew seven. At the, when when, is, when, the, when when these people come up and they say, "In your na- in your name, Jesus, we were casting out demons." And some of the scariest words Jesus says in response to that is, "'Depart from me, for I never knew you.'" Why? Because they weren't being obedient to what he was telling them to do. They were out getting their own glory. John 13, 17 says, "'If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them.'" So Jesus, there's a whole lot of do talk in Jesus, coming out of Jesus's mouth. But why is it so hard? Here's why it's hard. His commands are not burdensome, but they're otherworldly. guys. they are supernatural. What do I mean by that? Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Guys, those are hard things. Pray for those who persecute you. It's a command. By Jesus. That's a hard, that is a supernatural thing to do that. But guys, look at what it says in the last part of verse 25. This man is blessed in what he does. Guys, don't, don't, don't flip those things. He isn't blessed because he did something that earned God's approval. He's blessed because he's doing what Jesus has told him to do. Guys, his commandments lead you to him. Like, like doing what he tells us to do is how we get into his presence and walk with him. He is where his commands lead. So the blessing of this person who is the doer of the word isn't a score-keeping blessing. It's a presence of God blessing. By doing God's word, we are in the presence of God, and that's the blessing. Does that make sense? The table talk question, we're not going to actually talk about right now. I would love for you to talk about it at your tables while we're having our meal together. It says, the point James is making here proves the desperate need for not just reading, but responding to the word of God. Share some ways you have found success in this practice we value so heavily at Cornerstone. I get, it's, I get that it's hard. So take some time during the meal, take some time at our house, at my house this afternoon watching the football game or not watching the football game and talk about how is it that you found success in having God's word speak to you? Because when it does, you're in his presence and that's the blessing that will then lead you to doing what he's asked you to do. So how does what, comes on, how does what is on your insides come out in a way that glorifies God? One, by remembering whose you are. Two, by knowing your behavior flows from beholding. Beholding him in his word, that's the witness that will affect our behavior. Finally, by demonstrating a right heart of worship. Look at the last two verses of what we call chapter 1. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep one unstained by the world. Guys, this is not a discourse on anti-religion. Nor is it a description of what all religion, like, you don't. we don't want to pull from this and go, so all, what we're supposed to do as Christians is just take care of widows and orphans. The answer is yes, but not all. There's a whole lot of other stuff in here that we're supposed to do as well. Guys, religion is not a bad word. Sometimes you've heard this. Everybody here, I'm sure, has heard this. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I understand why that's said. I just don't think it's the best thing to say. Because Christianity is a religion. It happens to be the right one. It is is a, a system and doctrine of belief based on the word of God. But here's how it's different than what we think of as religion. Nothing we do earns merit from God, which is what all other religions besides biblical Christianity preach. Every other religion in the world says, you do so that God will take care of it. Christianity says, God did, so now you go do. That's the difference. So it's not a bad, in fact, even how how James is using the words here, it's like an interplay, and and I'm a science geek, I'm not an English major, but I, but I was able to look up enough to go. So when he says, when James says anyone who sees himself as religious, he's using the word in Greek there for worship. Now, when we think of worship, do we think of it as a, ver- a noun or, an, or a verb? Or what do we think of in worship? A verb. It's something we're doing, right? And it can be. Here it's an adjective. He's saying, he's saying if anyone is religious, what he's meaning is if anyone thinks that his behavior is exemplary, if anyone is acting holy but can't even control his tongue his religion is worthless. But here's what's interesting. When he, says in verse, when he says let me tell you what real religion is in verse 27 pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this he's using the same word the same Greek word for worship pure and undefiled worship is this but here's what's interesting it's still not a verb It's a noun. Why? Because a noun is a place or a thing. He's saying, here's what he's saying. Pure and undefiled religion, worship, happens in a place because of a person. Pure and undefiled religion, worship, is because of Jesus Christ happening in your heart. And that heart change should be changing what's coming out of your face. That's the point that he's making here. In fact, he says, there are three things, and we're wrapping it up with this before we get to our last table talk question. There are three things that he says worship looks like. The first one is heart change. How do I know that? Because he says, if you can't bridle your tongue, well, how is, how is bridling your tongue heart change? Well, I just said it, but Jesus over and over, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, so your mouth speaks. So the first thing he says is, real worship, the place of worship, your heart, has changed. When? You can control your tongue when you have compassion on other people, widows and orphans, and when you practice holiness. Keep yourself unstained by the world. That's what real biblical religion slash worship looks like. But we cannot funnel Christianity down to a list of like morality and benevolence. That's just religious activity. That's what, we all know people that are like that. My Christianity is doing good and being nice. That's not biblical Christianity. So, we want to know how to, you, you guys, we're going to get to the table talk question and we're going to wrap it up. How do you know what you're worshiping? Pure and undefiled worship is this. How do you know what you're worshiping? What's got your heart? How do you know what's got your heart? What's got your time? What's got your treasure? How are you using your talents? What does your calendar look like? Because whatever those things are, that's what we're worshiping. That's what we're worshiping. That's what has control of our hearts. That's our religion. Politics is a religion to some people because it has control of their heart. Look at your tabletop question. How are behavior and worship connected? Based on your behavior, what are you worshiping? I know that's a hard question to sit at people with that you maybe don't know really well, but I would ask you to just to, to risk being transparent. And it, just take a couple of minutes and say, how are behavior and worship connected? Based on your behavior, what are you worshiping? Go. Okay, so in the interest of time... Um, I just wanted, so it did even be something you said, but something at your table. Don't stand up or anything. Just right from where you're seated, um, tell me something that, that came up as worship. Just yell it out. TV. TV. Uh, Facebook. Uh, Exercise. Uh, no. Me. Okay, yeah, that's a big, it's a huge one. Uh-huh. Providing for. Good. Because you see how, like, like, some of those things, are, are, are any of those things inherently evil? No. That's how the enemy gets us. So, Facebook is not inherently evil. It's just kind of evil. No, um, so, last thing, I'm going to wrap it up because I just want to sort of bring a closure to chapter, what we call chapter 1. And I say it that way because when James wrote it, he didn't call it chapter 1. We're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 1 next week, Lord willing. But how does what's on your insides come out in a way that glorifies God? Here's what, here's what James has been telling us through this whole chapter, all the way back to the beginning. He says, you want to know you want to really know how to do this well? He's like, take this test with me. Ugh. This is a hard test. Like, this is like calculus four. Because he says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. That's, that's a test. He says, desire Jesus more than you want sin. That's a test. He says, get a hold of your anger. Ugh. He says, control your tongue. Ugh. He says, "Have a compassionate heart towards the least of these." And then he says, "Oh, and by the way, live a holy life." So how are we doing? Like seriously, right? Like you can walk away going, "Oh." And here's the thing: so can James. James was not perfect. He was a saint. Who, not because his, his name was James and he's in the Bible, he was the same because he was bought with the same blood of Jesus Christ that you and I were. Right? But that did not make him perfect. Guys, we cannot do any of those things just that are just in chapter one. And oh, by the way, it just gets better as we move through the book. We can only do this by trusting that his grace is sufficient and his power is perfected in our weaknesses when we fail the test. That's it. That's what grace is looks like so as the music team comes up and leads us in a song of response i i i don't i don't want to say i don't want to diminish and go you know what don't worry about your behavior just just move on in the grace of god no it's a both and take time to, to, to in the things we talked about today controlling your tongue anger am i really re, am i really compassionate towards the least of these all those things like reach out to the lord through the power of his spirit in these moments as we're praying together and as we're worshiping together But guys, don't linger, don't let the enemy let you live in defeat. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. He died for you. And his death is sufficient for all of your sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for that truth. God, I thank you for the truth that your grace is sufficient. I thank you for the truth that your power is perfected in our weaknesses, so may we be a people who boast in our weaknesses because when we are weak, then you are strong because it's in those moments that your grace shows up. It's when we don't know what to say and see you say it for us. It's when we have a hard time controlling our tongue and you step in and close our mouths. It's when something happens that would make us angry, but your spirit fills us with love joy, peace, and patience, that we experience you. And that's why we're blessed. We're not blessed because we didn't pipe off at the person who cut us off on the road. We're blessed because when you lead us not to do that, you're there. You're the blessing. Lord, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that that you didn't just come live die rise again but you sent your son to be with our your spirit to be with us that his your presence is right here with us when we gather and sit around a table and talk and share a meal you're here may we talk about you and talk with you like we believe it you're here thank you lord thank you for your grace your never ending from everlasting to everlasting grace, and mercy, and love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.